Well, good morning. And uh, that was awkward. So anyway, we're so glad you guys are here with us. And uh, if you're tuning online, we're so glad you guys are here with us. It's a beautiful day. You could be a million other places and you chose time uh, with us. So we are super excited. Uh, there is a ton of stuff coming up. Uh, I tell you guys every week, download the app. Just download the app. It's free. It's available on Google, Android, Apple, all the platforms. You can sign up for the MailChimp. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, we realize summer's coming up. I will say next month in May, we're bringing back the food trucks every week. So if you don't want to buy it last year, yeah, somebody got excited. So we'll have food trucks in the parking lot every week. Uh, Mother's Day is coming up. So if you have a mom, which is all of us, uh, that's coming up soon. So make sure and recognize that. And we'll have something special for the moms that day as well. Uh, now, we are week two into this series, and I am super excited about where we've been, what we're going to talk about today, and where we're going to go the next two weeks. And we're talking about the idea of being human. And uh, which is important that we talk about this because all of us are humans, right, for most of the part. And so uh, so most of us are human. And um, it may seem counterintuitive that you walk into a space like a church where we think we're supposed to learn about God and we're actually going to talk about a lot about each other. Um, but one of the things that I find over and over again as I read the scriptures is that God keeps bringing us back to this. This idea that we want to make it all vertical, but in reality, a lot of it is about how we deal with each other. And it's important that we learn how to deal with each other because relationship is just a part of life. And the next two weeks after this week, we're going to talk about some of the more important and critical uh, relationships that we find ourselves in. And the first one will be marriage. Um, and even if you aren't married, uh, maybe one day you will get remarried or you'll get married for the first time or whatever that is. And so we're going to talk about that. And then the next week, we're going to talk about parenting. And so that week, I'm super excited. My wife, Jamie, is going to join me on stage. And you guys like that because she keeps me in check. And so uh, I don't say as many stupid things. And so uh, she's going to join us. And we're going to talk about parenting. Just a little keynote. We don't know what we're doing either, but we're just going to try to figure it out together. And so uh, we're excited about that. And, and today, I'll go ahead and tell you, um, I'm going to make a lot of you all really mad. And that's just the burden I have to bear, okay? There's a lot of you that are not going to like what we talk about today. But it's a very important thing that we talk about today. Because I think that what we're going to talk about today um, is one of the most critical things when it comes to us being human and learning how to be in relationship with each other, learning how to deal with people. Um, because let's be honest, we're all difficult. People are difficult. People are complicated. Um, and, and so it's one of these things where it shouldn't be hard to be human, but it is sometimes, isn't it? And, and it's really hard for us to connect to people, especially people that we don't agree with, especially people that see the world maybe differently than we do. And, and so one of the things I think that's interesting is that for so many of us, we feel like we have this disconnection from people. We have this disconnection with the world. And what's fascinating about that idea, and there's a lot of studies that have been done about this, I mean, if you think about it, we are the most connected theoretically that we've ever been. We have Facebook and social media and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and all the other things that I don't like or understand, right? And we have all these things. And so distance should not be a factor in us being connected anymore. And yet we have all of these opportunities because of technology to stay connected. And what study after study is showing us is we're actually more disconnected than we've ever been. More people feel isolated and alone in a world where there's infinite connection possible than ever. And so where does that come from? What, what, what is that about? And, and so today I want to talk about one of the attributes in making human connections I think is so important. And, and a lot of you aren't going to understand it, but we're going to talk through it. And there's going to be a part of it that you're really not going to like. And, and, and the reason you're not going to like it is because it's you. And it's me. And it, it's, it's hard to talk about stuff like that. But the thing I want to talk about today is, is something I heard a few years ago. I heard a sermon about this topic. Um, and it's something that convicted me. Um, when I heard
heard this, it became something that immediately in my own life I recognized. Um, and, and so the word I want you to focus on today when it comes to being human is the word empathy. Empathy. Now, some of you may not be familiar with this word or you don't know <laughs> which way to use this word. But essentially, the, the definition of empathy is the ability. Oh, I didn't put it up on screen. Sorry, that's my fault. The ability to understand and share feelings of another. The ability to understand someone, to share the feelings of them. Now, there have been times in this room where maybe we felt sympathy for other people. Sympathy is different than empathy. S sympathy is just where you kind of have this, oh, I'm so sorry for you. It's a bad situation. Yeah. And then you move on with your day, right? You do, we do that a lot to people. Empathy is this idea, this unique ability to where we step into it. We step into the reality and truly try to understand where someone's coming from. And sometimes we actually walk alongside them in that pain. That their pain, their heartache actually in some ways becomes our pain and our heartache. And we try to really understand the perspective of where they're coming from. Now, this is difficult because, as I said, people are difficult. But this is really important to me and it should be important to you. Um, because one of the things that I've realized about myself and I'm assuming it's true of a lot of us, is that sometimes when I first meet people, um, I don't like them, right? Anybody else like that? And not all people, but there's just some people when you first meet them, you're like, yeah, we're not going to hang out, you know? And it's this thing where you meet them and, you know, and, and you want to write them off, you want to judge them, right, based on what you see or experience just in those short moments with them. And, and then sometimes you meet jerks. You guys ever met a jerk? Right? Some of you are in here. And so uh, it's okay. And so we're glad you're here. And so, um, but what I found about myself is that when I judge people, write people off, deem people a jerk or whatever it is, um, sometimes what I found is if I'm willing to take the time and actually continue the conversation, as hard as it may be sometimes, what I actually found is that a lot of times there's reasons that people are the way they are. That a lot of times they are products of an environment. They're products of um, circumstances that happened in their life, situations. Some of them, it's because of their upbringing, which is why we're going to talk about parenting um, here in a, in a few weeks. And, and so part of it is just they have been shaped by these things. And sometimes you meet people and you're like, there's no wonder you turned out this way. And that's not a judgment statement. That's just reality. And what you actually find is when you kind of break down some of the layers, you actually find that you have more in common with them than you realize. And, and it's just different outcomes, but a lot of us are very much connected. And I think part of it that's important with empathy is this, is that if we don't become empathetic towards other people, as hard as it may be, we will never find connection with the rest of the world. Okay? And so it's interesting because when I think about this idea of being connected to people and stepping into their pain and trying to understand them is that for so many of us, we've spent our entire lives trying to be understood, Right? You want people to understand you. And in fact, the great struggle for many of us is that we feel in our life that nobody knows what we're going through. You ever said that? Nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. That may be true, but what's interesting is while we are desperate for that, we are desperate for someone to understand us, to get us, to accept us, to step into it with us, what's at the same time going on is our inability to understand someone else. You get that? Like, that's the irony of the situation. We want people to understand us, but we're not willing to actually take the time to try to understand someone else and what they're feeling and what they're going through. Part of it is we don't feel like we can relate to them. Now, 
If we're talking about empathy, the idea of stepping into someone else's life and situation and helping them and being a part of it, um, from a faith perspective, it gets interesting. Because if we were to take it from a psychological perspective, and so the way that we can empathize with someone is we relate to what they're going through, what they're experiencing, then from a faith perspective, um, the person that should least understand us would actually be God, right? Because God is so much different than us. God is so much outside of our reality. He does not bound by the things that we are bound by. Um, in fact, some of you might be tempted because of situations in your life to say things like, God doesn't understand me. God doesn't get me. And you might even be tempted to say, the only way that God could ever understand me is if he, he was like me. Which explains why God did exactly what he did. See, the Jesus narrative is interesting because it's a counter-narrative to what we think God was going to do. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago. But it's also a counter-narrative in the way we are as humans. See, Jesus comes and he's fully God, but the scripture reminds us over and over again that he's fully human. That he experiences the things that we experience. He experiences a lot of the same things. There's this crazy verse that talks about that Jesus is tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. Now think about that. Think about the ways you've been tempted in your life. And the scripture teaches that Jesus experienced those same things. Now, this narrative is interesting because Jesus keeps choosing a different path than maybe the one that most of us would choose. And there's this interesting story that takes place that shows how God takes this idea of him becoming one of us through Jesus and how he gets deeply involved in the pain and heartache that we feel here on earth. In John eleven thirty five, 35, and I love this verse. I don't know if you guys grew up in a church like I did where that um, there was this old guy. And now that I think about it, it's kind of weird, but like he had candy in his pocket, right? And if you would tell him a Bible verse, um, he'd give you candy. And most of the time it was wrapped, but we didn't care because we were kids, right? And so we just took it, you know, it's a little lint, a little extra flavor. And so, um, so we would take it. And our favorite Bible verse to quote was John eleven thirty five. Do you know why it was our favorite Bible verse to quote? Because this is the whole Bible verse. It says this, Jesus wept. There you go. We're done. Give me my candy now. Now, the context of this story is, is very fascinating when you think about it from a divine perspective, but also an empathy perspective. So in the context of this story, Jesus is friends with this guy named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus is dying, and the sisters think, oh, we've seen Jesus do these amazing things. So here's an interesting idea. Jesus has done miracles for complete strangers. And he's in a relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I mean, he's their friends. They travel together. They do things together. He goes and visits them. And, and so Lazarus is dying. So surely Jesus is going to come and do something for Lazarus is the thought process. So they send for Jesus. They go and tell Jesus that Lazarus is dying. You would expect Jesus to come back immediately. He doesn't. Okay. He continues on with what he's doing. And eventually he comes back. And when he comes back to them, Lazarus has already died. And the scene that he shows up in is this scene where his friends, people that he loves, his disciples, they're confused, they're heartbroken, they're obviously going through the, the same things everybody else would when we lose a loved one of mourning and weeping and grief. But they're also in this place because they're conflicted because they believe Jesus could have done something about it and he didn't. And so there's all of this human emotion going on. And in that moment, Jesus gets caught up in all of that. And the scripture says that Jesus wept. Now, we can read over those verses and just kind of downplay it and say, well, okay, Jesus cried a little bit, you know, toughen up or whatever, you know. But, but here's the thing. Um, in their world, you have to understand that a God 
that weeps over a person, that weeps over the relationship of other people, that's a God that weeps over what other people are going through. I mean, this is unheard of. I mean, in Greek mythology and Norse mythology and Roman mythology and Egyptian mythology, the gods use us as pawns. They don't care about our feelings. They don't care about what we think about things. I mean, we're just pawns in this. And so here is this story where God, through Jesus, he, he actually has this moment where he doesn't just feel bad for us. Oh, like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. Like, he's fully engaged in the moment as no God had ever been. And in this moment, God steps into human history, takes on flesh and blood, walks among us, and he fills the moment of despair, the moment of pain, this moment of sorrow and suffering, and Jesus weeps. God in this moment was not a distant observer. He was in the moment. I think what's interesting when we think about God is this, that many of us, when we think about God, we have certain ideas that come up about God. I would guess until we've talked today, empathy would not be the word you think of. Now, for a lot of us, because of what we grew up in or our history with the church or our history with different things, when we think about God, for a lot of us, the words we might use are words like judgment and condemnation and anger. For a lot of us, our view of God is that God's out to get everybody, right? And what I think was interesting about that is that's actually not what we see in the scriptures. I think what's happened is so often we project onto God what we actually are ourselves. Because we are judgmental. We condemn other people. We are easily to anger, right? I mean, so, so I think what happens is we project these things on God because these are the things that are actually inside of us. I think what's interesting is that when we think about our culture is that one of the things for me that, that sticks out is our loss of empathy to try to understand somebody else's situation. Now, we might feel pity for them. We might feel a little bit sympathetic for them, you know, but to actually get involved, right? The, the, the eroding state of selflessness, right? Most of us don't do selfless things anymore. Now, we'll do nice things for other people so we can put it on social media and people will do this, right? You know, talk about how great we are. But the idea of actually selflessly doing something for someone else. Or, or how about this, the, the idea of putting others' needs first, right? The idea that we actually put the other person and what they're going through maybe above what we're going through in the moment. The word that sticks out to me, the counter word to the, the culture of empathy, I think that God is inviting us into, is the culture of narcissism, right? Narcissism is this word that I've become fascinated with over the past several years. I've, I've done a lot of study on it, and, and what's fascinating about it is it's a word you're familiar with, but we're not often familiar with what it actually is. Now, we think we know what it is, but we're not totally sure. Now, the origin of, of the word narcissism comes from Greek mythology. And in this story, there's a guy named Narcissus, and he is the most beautiful human being to ever live. So imagine who you think that is. It should be your spouse. And that is, that is, that is who you're thinking of, right? And so Narcissus is the most beautiful human being to ever live. Now, there's a problem with him being the most beautiful human being to live. He's so beautiful that everybody falls in love with him. But because he's afraid his beauty would be wasted on them, he never falls in love with anybody else. And so he walks through life, and the, the kind of interesting thing is he's so beautiful that he could have anybody he wanted, yet he finds himself alone. 
And he's an admirer of beauty, and that's part of the problem is because he realizes how beautiful he actually is, that he's never seen anything as beautiful as him, so he can never commit to anything else. And then one day, Narcissus is walking by a pond, and he looks down in the pond, and he sees the most beautiful thing that he's ever seen. And he has to have it for himself. And he jumps into the pond, and he drowns. Now, many of you aren't familiar with that story, and hopefully you understood that what he saw was an image of himself, and so he had to have himself, and it cost him his life. Now, many of you are not familiar with that story, but you are familiar with drowning in an image of yourself, aren't you? We have a culture we've become culturally numb, and we're drowning in self-love. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all about you need to love yourself. Like, too many of us are actually too down on ourselves, and that's another problem we'll have to talk about one day. You should love yourself. But too many of us take it to the next level in which, if we're honest, we only love ourselves. Or we only love that other people love us, right? This plays out in a few different ways. And so let me kind of be real clear on on what narcissism is, is this counter-narrative to to empathy. And and I'm going to go and tell you, some of you are not going to like me very much after this part. So um, we often think of the celebrities, the popular, the bold, the beautiful, that's a show, right? And so we think about those things as being the people that are narcissists. But that's not always the case, is it? Narcissism about anybody that always makes it about themselves. You know anybody like that? That everything is about them and their opinion, right? Some of us shouldn't even have an opinion around some of these people because it doesn't matter, does it? Narcissists, the other thing about narcissists is this, the more narcissistic you are, often the less empathetic you are. Now, not every case, but most of them, why? Because you struggle with other people's feelings because all you're concerned about is your feelings, right? And so you cannot make yourself available to other people because all you're concerned about is yourself. Now, we often think narcissists don't feel deeply. Narcissists do feel deeply. They just feel very deeply about themselves, right? They're they very, very passionate about their feelings, right? One of the ways you can identify a narcissist is, is this, is it someone who thinks it's very important that other people honor and respect their feelings. Now, all of us want people to listen to us and respect our feelings, don't get me wrong, but do you know somebody that really needs you to honor and respect their feelings, right? And it's really important for you that you see what they think is the highest priority. One of the things that's interesting is it's really difficult to have a conversation with someone that's a narcissist um, because whatever they're feeling is their view of reality, right? Whatever they feel in that moment, it's not their feelings anymore. Do you know how they view it? They're facts, right? Do you have anybody that's really passionate about the facts because they're their facts? You know people like this? And they need the world to know their opinion because the world cannot be a better place until they have their opinion, right? Do you know anybody like that? Okay. And what's interesting about this is interesting is that when we have people, and listen, we're all guilty of this. So, like, yes, there are people we're talking about, but we all are guilty of this at times. But what's interesting about someone that's a narcissist, and, and so maybe you need to take a moment of reflection, is, is this. You always have to give your opinion, but you cannot embrace someone else's. Do you know anybody like that? See, they, they love telling the truth as long as it's their truth that's being told. But, but see, what's interesting about someone like this is they're actually incredibly fragile. You know why? Because the moment someone speaks truth to them, they fall apart. And they become hurt and angry and offended. And how dare anybody ever talk to me like that? You're the only one allowed to talk like that, right? 
And part of the challenge of being a narcissist is you believe the whole universe revolves around you, that everything's here for you. And then you wonder why no one wants to draw near to you, right? Some of the research being done about narcissism, and it's become this thing that's actually being studied now because it's become such a part of our culture and things, is what we're finding is it's not biological, it's not genetic, it's environmental, which means people are taught to become like that. They're trained to become like that. And what they're actually finding, sorry guys, is that a lot of the people that they're studying right now, it's a product of their home environment. It's a product of what their parents have told them. And what's interesting about the studies, too, that they're finding, you can look all this up, I can give you the, the research, is that the, the people that have these tendencies to be narcissistic in their nature, they have to deal with it young because what they're finding is if you still have those viewpoints when you become an adult, it's almost completely irreversible. You know some adults that think the world revolves around them? Anybody? Now, to combat this worldview, there, there is this, this other narrative that's being taught, which brings us back to empathy. Empathy is the idea that you don't think the world revolves around you, that you see other people as value and worth, and you want to step into their story, step into their narrative, because you see the connection between all of us. We're not individual little blips on the radar, that we're all connected, and we're here to help each other. Now, one of the issues with empathy is that for so many of us, and this might be a guy issue, I, I tend to think that it is, although I think it's both genders as well, um, is, is that so often we see being empathetic as a weakness, Right? That if I step into someone's situation, that we view it as a weakness. That if I care about what somebody else is going through, we see it as a weakness. And we have to break away from this mindset. Um, and the other thing about, about empathy is that it does make you vulnerable. Because as we talked about last week, people will disappoint you, people will hurt you. But you have to step into people's situations. You have to step into their pain. This is the example that Jesus gives us. He steps into the story. He steps into the narrative. He steps into the story uh, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He steps into that, right? Now, here's the question. When was the last time that you wept for someone else? And all of the guys are like, I don't weep. You know, okay. When was the last time you were upset for someone else, right? It's fascinating to me that right after this verse that Jesus, that they speak of Jesus and they say they could tell how much he loved them. See, for them, this is a, a thing of, of love, that, that they could tell how much Jesus loved them because even in that moment, he, he's experiencing everything they're experiencing. He's in that moment with them. When was the last time you stepped into a situation and it was obvious that you loved someone beside yourself because you were in it with them? See, I think so many of us, we, we often wonder why we can't connect to other people. We wonder why we can't be involved or, or with them. And part of the reason is because we've made it all about ourselves. Part of it is because when we think of connecting to people, we don't think about stepping into their world. What we're doing is we're inviting them into our world, right? You ever think about it like that? We're trying to own people. We're trying to control people. We're trying to manipulate people, right? And part of this is, is because underneath all of this is this belief that if people really knew who I was, going back to last week, remember that verse that we see in Genesis, they were naked and unashamed. They had nothing to hide from each other because they knew everything about each other. When most of us, let's be honest, we spend most of our lives trying to hide things so that people will actually like us because we're afraid if they really knew who we were, they wouldn't like us. See, underneath the idea of narcissism, which comes out in arrogance and self-indulgence, often 
underneath all of that is an incredible level of a lack of focus. You can't risk intimacy until you avoid empathy, until we invite people into our world rather than stepping into our world. Because you know what we can do when we invite people into our world? We can control it. Or at least we think we can. One of the things I think that's interesting when I think about where we are as a culture and the reason that we have a hard time with other people is because for so many of us, we can't experience, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating, okay, right? We expect everyone to see the world from our vantage point, don't we? We expect that of other people, but we're not willing to do that ourselves. One of the things that's interesting is that for many of us, you can't imagine finding someone who disagrees with you and they actually are right. Right? You, you ever gotten in a debate with somebody and it's like two minutes in, you're like, you know what, you're right. You've convinced me. I'm, I would change. No, it doesn't happen. And what we do is we write those people off. But not only is it we can't imagine someone disagreeing with us being right, the other thing is for many of us, we can't imagine anybody disagreeing with us being good. So many times I find myself in interesting situations where people will ask me questions about faith and the Bible and life and, and because of what I do for a living. And so many times I'll give people answers or opinions or ideas or often new concepts that maybe they've not thought about before. And so many times I find myself in trouble because so often I give the answer that they weren't expecting. And, and, and what happens is when you tell someone something they weren't expecting or when you tell someone something that they didn't think you were going to say, they want you to explain yourself. Right? You have anybody that, okay, well, explain yourself. And so I'll explain myself. And then inevitably it's like, do you read the Bible? And I'm like, yes, I read the Bible a lot. Do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God a lot. And what's fascinating is when I answer the question not the way that they hoped I would or thought I would, all of a sudden I become the bad guy. And it was like before I answered the question, I was the good guy. But now all of a sudden because I've answered the question differently, now they don't like me as much or they're writing me off. What I find fascinating about that is not that you have to agree with me. Don't, don't think you have to. But, but here's the thing. So many times we think we're arguing about doctrines or politics or truth, but what we're actually doing is diving headfirst into narcissistic culture that believe everyone who disagrees with me is bad or wrong, and I have to write them off. Right? That's where we're at. How many people have you vilified that you don't even know? Oh, I know some of you. I see Facebook. I get on there. It's fun. How many people have you written off that you don't even know? How many people you dislike or hate and have said terrible things about that you don't have the facts, you don't know all the information? Now, you know facts. They're your facts, remember, because you're a narcissist, so though your facts are the facts. Here's a question. Are you the kind of person who measures everyone by how much they agree with your perspective and your perspective and your opinions on them? And if they agree with me, they have high value. And if they disagree with me, guess what? They don't have value. I think, if we're honest, we have lost our way. See, what we think is that if I give them my opinions, if I give them my thoughts, because I control this little world around me, that I can make them like me and I can fix everything, right? That's what we think sometimes. But here's what I think we have to understand. Most of the time, people don't need your opinion. They need your support. Brene Brown, who's probably smarter than all of us in this room combined, says this. She says, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. And connection is rooted in empathy 
understanding the person and what they're going through. There's some interesting insights that we see in Scripture about relationships, especially these type of ideas. We're trying to relate to someone that maybe at first we don't understand or agree with or whatever the human context is. Uh, So I'm going to highlight them. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this. When you do things, so speaking to us, when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Now, quick question. When was the last time anybody in this room made a decision that selfishness or pride wasn't your guide? Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. It's this fascinating thing. So my daughter, she's nine, and she does not ever stop talking, ever. And and so what happens is so many times we're talking with her, we'll have some friends around, and and, and what she wants to do, you ever know people that they, they're not really listening, they're just waiting for their turn to talk? You know that? So she just talks and talks and talks, and we get on her all the time about, hey, you need to listen to what other people are saying, that, that you have to value what they say, that you have to understand what's going on. And she's nine, so we have to get on her about it a lot because it's just a problem. But some of you aren't nine. And all you're doing is waiting for your turn to talk. And you're not really taking an interest in other people, are you? What's interesting is right after this 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 writing, he, he goes on to talk about how God lowered himself and put himself above others, that he stepped into our world, into our pain, that, that God did this through Jesus. And so here's the question. If Jesus was willing to do this, I mean, you don't think you're greater than Jesus, do you? 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 starts by this. It says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, and take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. Now, let me get off for a second on, on this one. Let's just stop there. Um, we, ur- we, we, we warn you, those who are lazy. Now, did you know that the Bible talks about lazy people a lot? Now, I- here's the thing. Um, you can only be offended by what I say next if you're lazy. And since none of us want to be lazy, you can't be offended by it, okay? Um, I think that laziness has become an outbreak in our culture. And we have a lot of lazy people. In fact, I would even argue the easiest thing in the world to do is when someone says something you don't like is get offended. That's lazy. It's much harder work to actually listen to what they say and try to understand their perspective. But but in this context, I think a lot of people are, are lazy um, because here's the thing. We, we don't want to engage in things. A lot of people, their laziness is rooted in the fact that nobody's ever told them they're lazy. And, and we can't say that to people because it's so offensive and it's so harmful. But here's what's fascinating to me when we talk about this. is see, so many people are, are lazy, but I can't tell them that they're lazy because if I tell them they're lazy, all of a sudden I become the bad guy. But everybody else who allows them to live at the lowest level of human possibility, right? See, you can be loved by everyone and admired by no one. And so sometimes what we have to do, some of the most loving thing you can do is to call things out. And, and so maybe for some of us, we just need to realize, okay, we, we need a little bit of help because we can't get things going or whatever it is. So, so there's lazy people, so just take that if you need to. Um, the second thing is afraid. There's some of us that are afraid. We're afraid of life. We're afraid to take risks. We're afraid to step out. And part of the reason we're afraid is because things have happened to us that have hurt us, Right? Or because of past experiences, now we're afraid to do new things. And sometimes what we need to do as people, if we're going to connect with people, is to step into their fear with them. 
to try to understand it. You ever met somebody that's afraid and you're just like, I don't understand why they're afraid, okay? Well, yeah, of course you don't because you're not them. Maybe if you took some time to actually figure out what they're afraid of, what they're having a problem with, and you step into the situation with them, you become empathetic to the situation, and what happens is you can help them become brave. You can help them see the pattern out of this fear. Then it talks about people who are weak, that we should take care of these people that are weak. And it's not talking about weak like they're just weak in life. It's more talking about the idea that they found a season where they're weak. Do you know anybody that's just been beaten up by life, right? It's this idea that there's sometimes that there's these people in life, and listen, they just need a safe space with someone that's going to be there and help them and protect them because they have just got the crap beat out of them. They need somebody that's willing to stand with them and help them in these moments. Not judge them, not give them advice on what they should do, just be with them. And then the last one, and this is the hardest one for me, and I'm assuming many of you because I've seen you drive. Um, be patient with everyone, right? I, I see a human experiment in patience every week getting out of this parking lot right here. But what I found about myself is this, is that I often get impatient with people, but I think it's a narcissistic trait because when, when you're a narcissist, um, you think nobody gets it as fast as you do. And so that's why it's hard for you to be patient. Sometimes you think everybody's an idiot, right? They don't understand it. And, and so we're not patient with people and, and people are the problem. We've, we've never, listen, impatient people never stop to think maybe I'm the problem, right? It's always the other person. And one of the reasons we aren't patient is because I think that we're afraid of how it might make us look when we are patient. See, be patient with somebody who's perceived as lazy or afraid or weak. Our fear is if we're patient with somebody that's lazy or afraid or weak, that we get involved in the situation. The reason we have no patience for it is because we're afraid that if we get involved with it and we're helping somebody along, other people might think that about us, that we're afraid, lazy, or weak. And so because we have no patience for it, they have no patience for it, and it's this vicious cycle. See, that's the other interesting thing about narcissism is narcissism, and we don't have time to get into the full detail of it, narcissism is always connected to an attention to how you look, your appearance. You're more concerned about how you look than how you could help other people. You're more concerned with how you look sometimes. And I'm not just talking about your physical looks. I'm talking about the way you look as a person, the, the way that people perceive you. What's interesting to me is so many times when we, we deal with narcissism, I mean, there's, there's all this selfishness involved in it, and yet there's this alternative. There's this counter-narrative. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What I found fascinating about this verse is this. If you clothe yourself, see, the reason that so many narcissists are so, much, so connected to um, the attention of how they look is because they think if they look a certain way that people will be drawn to them, right? And what they need is people to be drawn to them. But what's fascinating is this. People aren't drawn to narcissism, are they? You know what people are drawn to? People who take care of them. People who are kind to them. People who are hum humble. People who are patient with them. It's like this weird thing that like you have this one view where everything's going to be about me and I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to do all this because I want people to like me and give me attention and give me likes and retweet or whatever it is. And you live in that world, but people aren't even attracted to that. 
What they're attracted to is people that live out these things, which, by the way, these things, compassion, kindness, humility, do you know what those are? Those aren't about you. Those are about what you do for other people. It's about being empathetic in those situations. This is what's so fascinating to me about the story of Jesus. It's a counter-narrative. It's a new way to be human. People were drawn to Jesus even if they weren't like Jesus or understood really anything he was talking about. But they were drawn to him because he taught us a new way to be human. And it's fascinating, the idea that God stood outside of us. And rather than be sympathetic and be like, oh, I hope you guys figure it out, he stepped into our space. He didn't just have sympathy for us. He actually stepped into our space. And what's fascinating is the story of Jesus talks about how he carries our burdens, our pains. He knows our sorrows. He knows what you have experienced. Now, he also knows the dark stuff of your soul. He knows the hearts of humans. And we got some messed up stuff in there, don't we? And do you know what Jesus' response, being human and knowing the darkness of human, do you know what his response is to that? In Matthew 11, verse 28. He says this, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For your, my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus' response to all of the mess that we've made in humanity is to step into it and to give us rest, to lift the burden. He knows the darkness. He knows the disappointment. He knows the confusion. He knows the emotional turmoil that's going on inside of us. And he says, I don't want you to be weary. I don't want you to be overburdened. I know that life is crushing you. I know that you're suffocating. I know that you're in pain. Let me give you rest. Let me get involved in this situation. And the scripture teaches us that we are the body of Christ, that we are the gift given to the world. And if this is what Christ offers the world through his empathy is to take people's burden, to be with them, to give them rest, to support them, then shouldn't we do the same I think it's a fascinating counter-narrative. But the other thing about it is this. See, see, Jesus is all about giving us rest so that we can make it through the journey. But here's what I know about being a narcissist. It's exhausting. It's exhausting feeling like you have to bear everything. But not only is it exhausting, it's also lonely. See, we need to learn to connect to each other. Not just to God, but to each other. To find the rest that we are so desperate for, to find the human connection we are so desperate for. And here's the thing. If we can learn to have empathy again and not believe that we're the center of the universe and not believe it's all about us, if we can learn to understand that we are connected and this is our story, then maybe we will find the God who created us and we will find who he created us to be, which is human. Let's pray. My God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your words. And they are convicting, but they are inspiring, God. And I pray that we can find truth in them. We can find truth in these songs that we sing, God, that we can learn to be people that do not think that we are the center of the universe, 
God, that is your job and not ours, God, that, that we can find be people that can learn to connect with each other, that we can be people not to only focus on ourselves and our thoughts and our emotions. God, for some of us, we just need to stop thinking that we control the world and we can control everybody's lives. And God, sometimes some of us need to just shut up and listen to other people sometimes, and we need that. We needed the strength to do that, to listen to others, to get in other stories, to hear others' perspectives. God, for some of us, we need to realize we don't know everything, and that's okay. And to God, to allow other people to speak truth into our life, to not think that what we feel is the only truth or feeling that's out there. God, help us to connect to each other. And part of that learning to connect is to kind of settle ourselves down a little bit and to be open what you have to teach us through your word, through yourself, but also through other people. And God, for some of us in this room, we, we need somebody to step into our life because we are struggling and we're hurting. And God, we keep praying maybe for someone, for some you to do something, but in reality what we need is someone to step into our life and to walk with us, to show us some empathy, to show us some love, to show us some kindness, to give us some rest. Father God, whatever you need to speak to us in these next few moments, we ask that you do. We love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.